You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. I want you to think about something that you consider a special possession. Something that when you look at it, when you interact with it, when you use it, it brings you a deep sense of satisfaction, maybe of comfort. Um, maybe it's something that was passed down to you from your parent or grandparent. A special quilt or maybe pocket knife or gun. Uh, maybe it's something that you worked really hard for and it took you a long time and that you've eventually got it just the way you wanted it, like maybe uh, that special car or that special boat or the special project, a, a building, a space in your home where you like to relax. Uh, maybe it's something that you've had a long time since childhood and that you kind of cherish it and take extra care of it. Or maybe it's a prize you won or a trophy. I've been staying with David and Gina a lot of these weeks that I'm here for half the week and then go back uh, to be with Lisa and my mom. We're living with my mom and then coming back, which we got our house. A week or two more, we'll be moved in. But staying at David and Gina's, um, for those of you who've been out there, and I think quite a few probably have over the years, um, the trophy mounts, uh, the elk and the moose and the deer and you name it, hanging on his walls and seeing that. And you get the impression that these are significant to David, that they are special to David, that they represent special memories. And so think of what that is for you. I'll show you mine real fast, or one that I have. That's not the only one by any means, but... Uh, Yes, it's a teddy bear. I'm a grown man holding a teddy bear. And it's not my only teddy bear. I actually, at our house, I have the teddy bear I had when I was two years old. I still have it. His name is Radar. Just like Big Bird's teddy bear off Sesame Street. It's why I named him that. And uh, he has gone through a few surgeries and operations to fix, repair. But sometimes Slater sleeps with him. Some, he moves around our house and... Uh, sometimes in a toy room, sometimes in a closet up on a shelf. But uh, uh, I told Lisa someday she can bury me with radar. This is not radar, but it's still something that is a special possession of mine. It's in my office. That's why I'm holding it here because it sits in my office. So if you come and see me and visit, you'll see it. This teddy bear was made by my aunt, and it was made out of the clothes of my brother, the brother that passed away that I mentioned one a few times. Uh, who was uh, killed while jogging on the side of the road when he was struck by a car. But these were his overalls, and there's even paint on them from him working on them. And she resized them and pared them down to be small to fit the bear. This sweater was a sweater that he got while working at um, the Muscle Car Ranch in Oklahoma, where he actually found his favorite car and bought his uh, car that's now my mom's garage. He loved classic cars. And so he would go be like a helper, a hand uh, at this muscle car ranch. So she took the emblem off of the sweater and put it on uh, overalls where you could see it. But this is the sweater. And so it's a nice soft bear. And um, uh, she worked hard on it. It turned out really well. I was pleased. When I gave her my idea, she made kind of one for everybody. Some for my mom and my other brother. But I'm like, I want overalls and a sweater. 
turned out really well. And if something were happened to it, I'd be sad. Um, my world wouldn't end, but I'd be sad if I lost it or something happened. He's a little bit dirty, but that's okay. Or my other bear, Radar, the one that's at our house. You know, you can, he's maybe had a leg come off now and then and had to be repaired. But we have our special possessions, whatever it may be. Yours might be a teddy bear as well. I don't know. Think about it. If you're sitting at home and it's close by, grab it. Look at it. Hold it. Touch it. Feel it. Experience it. Whatever it might be. Smell it. And you just soak up maybe the memories or the joys or the experiences that are tied to that special possession. And know this. Whatever feelings you get in that moment, whatever comforts in the sense of peace or rest or relaxation that you have when you hold whatever that is or touch or around it or in it does not compare to how God feels about His special possession. You know what His special possession is? His people. We've been looking for the past couple of weeks of how God looks at us. God looked at the Israelites and especially the story of Moses and the Exodus and said, those are my people. And whenever God looks at my people, His people, they're His special possession. That's what Exodus chapter 19 says. Let's look at it. God tells the Israelites, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God brought them to himself because they are his, my people. They're the ones he calls my people. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations. For all the earth is mine. And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. So God's talking to Moses, and he's talking to Moses after they've come out of Egypt. So for the past two weeks, we talked about how God heard them in Egypt, heard their cries, and had compassion and care for his people. And then he intervened on behalf of his people. He rescued them, brought them out of Egypt. And so here, they've crossed the Red Sea. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army you know, is decimated behind them. They have traveled to Mount Sinai, and they get there, and they're about to receive the Ten Commandments. That's the next chapter, chapter 20. When chapter 19, God says, listen up. What I'm about to tell you, I'm about to give you the set of rules that will, you will operate by and that will define you and become kind of the preamble of your constitution, so to speak. Now, these, this will form your structure of how to be, well, my people. What he says is, they're my special people, my special possession. All the earth is mine, all peoples of the earth is mine. I'm choosing you to be different. I'm having a different relationship with you. Because I've chosen you, called you out, brought you to myself, you will be blessed. You'll be honored. You will have this closer connection to me than the rest of the world will. Having eventually the temple of God there in Jerusalem, the king sitting on the throne whom God appointed like David, 
but you are my special possession. God not only hears his people and rescues his people, he establishes his people. So when God rescued the Israelites, he didn't bring them out of the land of Egypt. He didn't cross and bring them through the Red Sea and then say, all right, good luck, have fun. Ah, they actually were afraid that that's what happened when they got a little bit hungry, got a little bit thirsty. Like in Exodus chapter 16, they told Moses, why have you and this God of yours brought us out into the wilderness to die? Were there no graves in Egypt to bury us in? I mean, why did you accomplish all this just to let us starve or die of thirst? Of course, Moses said, you're not going to die of thirst. God doesn't just leave us to our own devices. God, God doesn't just uh, let us go without continued care, continued guidance. And so he sent the manna. He produced water from the rock. He took care of them. But they tended to grumble when they got a little bit, oh no, what's going on? God's left us in the whole point of the story of the Exodus. God doesn't leave his people. He's right there with them. Now, that brings with it a struggle because a perfect God being with imperfect people creates tension. And the whole book of Leviticus and the sacrifices were intended to address that. Uh, but God had expectations of His people. He blessed them. He took care of them. He provided for them because they, he, they were His people. But He also said, oh, we need to set some ground rules. You need to understand that as my people, you've got a calling to live up to. You are my special possession, and I want to hang you front and center in my house. Out of all the world, I want to build up Jerusalem and, and my people, and, and I'll bring you to this promised land, and you'll kind of get the picture of you'll be the envy of all the other nations. So that when they look at you, they'll go, wow, look at those people. They've got a relationship with their God that's not like our relationship with our gods. We want more of that. And so they were to be this beacon of hope for the entire world. Recognize this God special, my people, but in the hope of bringing other people in as well. And God... Yeah, I'm going to hang you front and center. I want everybody to see what I've done with you so that they'll know what kind of a God I am. So as the my people of God, we don't just receive the blessings of God. Part of it, we get rescued. We get delivered. But we also now have the responsibility of representing God of being God's people more than just in what we enjoy, but in how we act. And that's where the Ten Commandments come in. When we get into chapter 20, we get into the list of thou shalt not. God spoke all these words. And we're going to see, have no other gods before me. We're going to see, don't make uh, images. We're going to see... Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're going to see, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, honor your father and mother, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not covet. Those are the famous Ten Commandments of God. But they are based on 
not just, okay, here's a set of rules, you obey them as I expect you to. And that's there. I mean, God does have that expectation on the rules, but it's because He wants them to be different. Because they are His people. He wants Israel to live up to a higher standard that all the other nations around will go look and say, wow, that's different. That's better. That's a relationship and a connection to a God that sustains, that establishes, that builds up and provides. And where you live in harmony with Him because you're following these very important rules. So in the Ten Commandments, God tells Israel, you are my people. Now be my people and act like it. Live up to, embrace this higher standard and shine the light of my goodness and grace to the whole world. And notice that in the Ten Commandments, before he gets into the thou shalt nots, into the do nots, he starts off with chapter 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, verse 2. I, the Lord, am your God. And that, of course, means that they are his people. I am your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. So the whole relationship is not based upon just what the people do. It's based upon the fact that God chose them, that God brought them, what God's already done. But now in response to that, God says, here's what I need from you. Not, not that it's a transaction, but he said, if, if you're going to be in my house, if you're going to enjoy the benefits of having me as your God, as your Father, then you're going to inherently, whether you want to or not, you're going to inherently represent me. Your actions will show on me. And so here's what you need to do. This is how you need to live. And the thing is, it's not cumbersome burdens. These make for a better life, a better community. A better culture if we'll just embrace them, follow them, and leave behind the temptations to follow other gods or to live like the other nations. Yeah. Really, God wanted Israel to tempt the other nations to be like them. Of course, what often happened was they were tempted to be like the other nations. Oh, that looks fun. That looks good. God said, oh, but that's not how my people are. You are my people. Therefore, this is how you live. This is a picture of Savji Dolakia. I think that's right. I have no idea how to say it. He, he's from India. He's Indian. And he is a billionaire. He uh, is head over a diamond trading company. That's all over the world. And so he's a very wealthy man, very prominent in India. But he's unique in that he... His sons or his nephews, those in his you know, family and extended family, when they get to be about 18, 20, you know, or early 20s, he sends them out with hardly anything. Not a credit card, not a phone, uh, a little bit of emergency cash that he really doesn't want them to use. He's going to check on. But he says, I want you to go out and find a job. Hit the streets. 
he sends them often to a far away city on the other side of India where they don't maybe recognize him or you know associate him with their famous and very rich father or uncle. And so for a, for a month, it's not a long time, they're going to come back and they're probably going to be a part of the family business and you know, get back to the big houses and their nice cars and you know, the, the benefits of no doubt being a millionaire. But for that month, I, I appreciate the mindset at least. I mean, is it perfectly executed? I don't know. I don't know them. And, but I came across this story and I thought, that's kind of cool. For a month, I said, I want you to learn not just what it's like to have everything at your disposal. I want you to learn what it's like to live, what it's like to work, what it's like to maybe miss a meal or two, what it's like to depend on the kindness of others, and to be thankful, to learn thankfulness for a full belly, to learn thankfulness for someone you know extending to you the opportunity to just have a job and have a meager income, you know, that can get you a place, maybe a, a small apartment to live in or uh, you know, give you food to eat and, and not much more. I mean, it's starting. He wants them to start at the bottom and to know what it's like to be at the bottom. Because he had been there once. To know two reasons. To instill in them the confidence that they can start from the bottom too. And that they can rely on their ability to work, that they can rely on, and sometimes even people around them, and, and that they can succeed on their own without just cash and daddy's checks. But also he wants them to learn to be grateful. You see, I hear phrases like, I just want my children to be happy. I don't think that's good enough. And that, that's a pretty low bar. Because I can make them happy. I'm giving, you know, I have enough. I'm employed by the church, and I'm grateful that, you know, y'all take care of us and allow me to take care of my family. And I can give them maybe not the best things ever, but I can give them some pretty nice things they enjoy. You know, they've got, we've got a couple of TVs to watch and, uh, my boys like video games. Uh, Rosa likes books. Um, they can, you know, have computers and be on the internet. Uh, some or uh, Rosa is the only one with a phone right now. But as they get older, I imagine more of them are going to get a phone. I mean, the idea is like I can provide. I can try to provide the things that make them happy, if that's my goal. But it's not. Or I can try to provide the things that make them comfortable. And I hear a lot. Well, I just want my kids to have a better off than I did. Well. Maybe. I don't want them to experience all the hardships and especially mistakes I experience, but you know what I want for them? What I really want for my children? I want them to be good. I want them to be compassionate. I want them to be generous and kind. I want them to be holy and righteous. Not self-righteous, but you know, actually having... Lives that are not burdened by the consequences of sin and also lives that are self-giving. I, I, I want them to not just receive, I want them to give. 
And that's what God wanted for His people. What He still wants for His people now, for us. He hasn't called the church to be comfortable. He hasn't called the church to be happy. He's called us to be good. And, and truly good as in He is good. Holy like He is holy. To extend grace, extend love, extend whatever resources we have, and gener generosity, compassion, to make other people's lives better. Even when it's hard, or difficult, or challenging, or whenever we would maybe have to give up some too. That's okay. Jesus said, take up my cross, follow me. Take up your cross, follow me. This isn't going to be an easy road. That's going to be the right road, the good road, the better road that ends with honoring God even in struggle. And so I, I like this guy in India that kind of tried to do that a little bit with his kids as far as financially or instilling that work ethic a little bit. Uh, I want my children to thrive spiritually. And that's what God wanted for his people, what he still wants for his people. For us to thrive and to have blessing and to enjoy the good things of God that can bring a smile to our face like our special possession. But as His special possession, God says, uh, I want you to share in my glory, to share in my goodness, and then to extend that to the people around you by how you act, how you treat them, how you love them, how you give to them, how you give an example to them. To be the my people of God, we are established by God, not, not, not just to have enough, you know, to be in the promised land, which they were eventually, and to have, you know, well, we got food, we got houses, we're good, you know, God's taking care of us, all right, then destroy. No, it's, God said, I'm going to establish you, build you up so that you can be my presence to other people. And that's really what the kingdom of priests is. Back in chapter 19, he said, My special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine. Verse 6, And you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The priest... The go-between for people and God. You want to get to God, go to the priest. He'll help you get there. That's the nation of Israel. If the world wanted to get to God, if all these other nations, including Egypt or all the nations of Canaan or the surrounding nations around them that they often struggled with and were tempted by or had wars with, you know, the vision, the plan of God was, I want the world to know that to get to me, they can look to Israel and see how. Just like looking to a priest. And that Israel will even intercede for them and help them get to God. Be the ones that bring the sacrifices, so to speak. Or that, you know, uh, that, that, that stand in the gap on behalf of other people. Israel often failed at that. They became confident that, oh, God chose us, we're better. We have to avoid that trap in the church as well because 
2,000 years of church history, fallen into it some. Oh, Christians, we're better. God loves us more than he loves them. No, he wants us to be his holy nation of priests, to extend to others the invitation, to, to, to model what it looks like to be the my people of God, to live up to that calling. That means righteous lives, doing, following things like the Ten Commandments, avoiding what is wrong or evil or wicked or selfish, but also embracing the challenging but rewarding job of living up to God's standards of goodness, and kindness, and compassion, and mercy, and grace. And that's what the... Israel often failed at that. Just like the church often fails at that. So I don't want to point our fingers at Israel. Oh, they did so bad job. Now we, we messed it up ourselves. Calling still the same. The one who perfectly fulfilled that calling, our Lord Jesus Christ. He perfectly stands in the gap. He perfectly calls all nations to himself. He is perfectly God's my peace. So when God looks down at my people, it's his church, but perfectly it's Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, and that's my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Because Jesus perfectly exhibited the compassion, the grace, the mercy, the love, the truth, and the holiness of God. And then Jesus, the perfect high priest, stood in the gap. Because I know God's over here and you're over here. And you can't get there. Not on your own. I'll give up who I am, what I have. In Jesus' instance, his own flesh and blood dying on the cross in order to bring us into the presence of God so that we can be covered by his blood. But that means whenever we're covered by his love, when God looks at us, he doesn't see um, dirty, stained, weary, wicked, selfish, sinful Colby. He looks down and he sees the blood of Jesus running over me. So he looks down and says, oh, he looks like my son. He smells like my son. We hold that special possession. God holds us and because we're covered in the blood of Christ, because we wear the name of Christ, because we follow Christ and are filled with the Spirit, it's like, ah, this, yes what I want. And we don't accomplish that on our own. We accomplish that. Really, Jesus accomplishes that for us. He makes us the my people of God. Now when God looks at me, I, He doesn't see His enemy. And I'm, all of us living in sin, in some ways, the enemy of God. Scripture tells us that. While we were Still in our sin, we were hostile to God. But that, in that moment, Christ died for us, covering us, washing us clean, making us like Jesus. Whereas now, God doesn't see an enemy. He says, ah, that's my people. 
That's my son. That's my daughter. Not because of what they've done. It's actually because of what God Himself has done to call us to Him through the precious blood of Christ. In that blood, in that salvation, we can be to God His my people. Thank you.